Well, here we are again. This is David Patrick Wilson, and you're in Wilson's Corner. It's been a while, and uh, I hope you haven't forgotten who I am. I certainly haven't forgotten you. It's been kind of a, a rough stretch, you know, this fall. People trying to climb out of the COVID miasma, or whatever you want to call it. It's just hard to believe that this stuff keeps hanging on like this and mutating and transforming. And it's, uh, it's really very daunting, to say the least. You know, I, I don't, uh, you know, this is the holiday season here. We're, you know, Hanukkah is just finishing up and and we're moving in on, uh, on Christmas and New Year's. And, you know, you would think that by this time things would have mellowed out a little bit more. And just when we think we've got a, a handle on whatever we think we have a handle on, um, we're confronted by this Omicron variant of this COVID-19 thingy. It really gives me pause to wonder about some of it, you know, I mean, how much of this is just the medical business creating medical business, you know, I don't know. After two years of this, you know, they, they don't even give you a BC anymore. It's like the last days of Vietnam, you know. They were all gung-ho to tell you how many Kong they were killing early on, but it's a war ground on, you know. Uh, you got fewer and fewer numbers and notices about what was really transpiring there. I'm in my my new studio digs here, although I am still recording to my uh, my phone. Um, at least the sound that's coming across, I guess, is a little bit more refined. I don't know. Maybe it's maybe it's worse. Who knows? Boy, I'll tell you. You know, we're working on so many projects over here. We've been working on a film called uh, When the World Stood Still, which is really about what's happened over the last two years. A bunch of international uh, filmmakers got together and we've been piecing together some things over time. I'm finishing up an edit on a short version to be able to get out to some festivals. We're also preparing two plays to go into production. Um, we have a dress rehearsal coming up next week, the end of next week, and um, right now we're, we're working in a church uh, hall, and we, we want to move it down, and we're going to shoot some scenes at the Manhattan Neighborhood Network, where we are now accredited producers, both Nan and myself, Willie Gilly Productions, team of producers which is great. Uh, the two plays I wrote, one is Jesus the Kid, about Jesus as a kid. You know, you don't know too much about him. 
It's actually a title that's taken from a former writing partner of mine, God rest her soul, Rosemary Cord, one of the greatest writers I've ever known, one of the funniest women I've ever known, one of the most beautiful people that ever walked this planet. I just loved her to pieces. She's been gone now for a while. She, uh, she, at the end of her life, she was married to Chuck Mangione, and I guess he was sliding into uh, dementia at that point. I have no idea where he is anymore either, and kind of lost touch with the kids too. But she, she's a great writer, and I have some of her scripts, and I swear one of these days we're going to get them all done. He was just, I mean, I remember when, uh, I read 19 pages of a script that she was working on back in Hollywood back in 1975. I think it was, and I, she was mopping the floor in her kitchen that day as I read it. And when I finished the 19 pages, I took the mop out of her hand and said, I want to see you do that again. I'm going to see you with a typewriter or a word processor in front of you. And we wrote a bunch of scripts. She wrote quite a few. Wonderful writer. Just beautiful sensibility. But you know, out there in Hollywood, you've got that uh, that Hollywood machine, and that was right in the height of the Me Too mess that was created. That you know, you hear about. It really was uh, back then. You have the pandemic now, but you had an endemic situation in Hollywood back in those days. You know. Um, it was really the predators, the sexual predators and, and deviants that dwelled in those streets back in the 70s and 80s, up until the AIDS crisis, which kind of put the brakes on a little bit. You know, I mean, you want to talk about Hollywood Babylon, I can tell you stories that curl your teeth. And yeah, I was participant in some of them back in those days. Thank God I squared that away. A lot of it had to do with uh, drugs and alcohol. I guess, I don't know. Those are still pervasive in the landscape. Obviously, we've got this opioid situation. There are so many crises in this country. It's, it's really, it, it, it boggles the mind to think of how it can all be handled. At least my mind, anyway. But there was, those were some very evil days, very evil times, you know. Jobs were predicated on what you would put out on a desk I'm not talking about lunch. Actually, I'm writing a book. Um, there's a woman, um, Julia Phillips, who was a producer back then. It's uh, rumored that she discovered Steven Spielberg, although I, I would imagine he knew who he was before that. But she, um, she's the one that brought him to Universal initially. I think she was, um, she was the one that was involved with uh, the truck. And she also, she, E.T., she was part of that whole team. But she was a notorious hedonist. I mean, you know, we're talking about, you want to talk about trading on flesh and just drug-saturated, alcohol, inundated. You know, she did it all. And um, she wrote a book. Uh, she got cleaned up. She straightened herself out after a number of years. Well, I was still there. Actually, I think I, I had left uh, I had left Hollywood by that time. I was in Europe. I was in Stockholm, uh, working on in Stockholm film and television and stage, uh, which I really loved. The 
the collaboration aspect of European creativity in the arts. Whole different ballgame over there. The movie business and filmmakers are two different worlds completely. Although now, you know, it's great to see that there are more and more independent filmmakers and a lot more, obviously a lot more platforms and, and areas for outlet. Um, but, you know, there's still so much garbage out there. It's unbelievable. I mean, I'm, I'm on the nominating committee for, uh, for um, the Screen Actors Guild Awards. And, I mean, I'm a nominating member. I'm a lifetime member of uh, Screen Actors Guild. I've been paid over 40 years of dues. I think over 80000 or $100,000 in, in dues over, years, over the years, I, say, I guess. I don't know. I guess, I guess you, you, you call it buying a vote. I don't know. Um, but in any event, so I was in, in Stockholm and I left, I left uh, Los Angeles. I left Hollywood in uh, 1979 and um, 80 after having lived there for five years. And then I tried later in, in the late 80s to live there again for five years and then in the 90s and then in the early 2000s as well. So, you know, I, I would keep trying to live there, but I just couldn't handle it. It was just, you know, it wasn't that... I was very successful. I worked every time I was there. I did a lot of work. I just didn't like the mentality. I didn't like the the horse flesh trading that was going on there. It was just, you know... It was the, but it changed completely. It, it had altered somewhat when I went back out there in the 80s. Um... But at the time, she, I guess she got cleaned up about that time. She wrote a book called You'll Never Eat Lunch in This Town Again. And when it came out, she named names and people and all kinds of stuff. And she never did eat lunch in that town again. And unfortunately, she uh, she died without ever regaining any uh, of her notoriety, which is what Hollywood will do for you. You know, but I mean, you know, you want to talk about the power brokers out there and the heads of studios and... They did the same thing to Michael Ovitz. Michael Ovitz was the head of CAA and at one point was named the most powerful man in Hollywood because if you're going to make a deal for major talent, he had it all in, in his stable, quote-unquote, and you would have to deal with Mike. So what they did was they marginalized him first by uh, getting him to take over the presidency after Michael Eisner left uh, Disney. He took over Disney uh, for a minute, and I guess, and, uh, you know, they shoved him off in a corner, then they didn't have to deal with him in, in the, you know, negotiating for talent. Clever move. You know, um, but there was this whole cadre, he called them the, the gay mafia, but, and, you know, I, yeah, gay people notwithstanding, you know, you per person can choose to be and do whatever they choose to be and do. Well, everything's fair play. It's how you do it. And these guys were just insidious, evil. And there were plenty, there were a lot of them. Heads of studios, heads of record labels. Um, and you know, that's, that, that's where my game was. That's where I was. Back in the 70s, my name was included with every major player. I had to, I had to deal with what I call the brothers syndrome because you had to Peach Brothers and the Carradine Brothers and the Bottoms Brothers and the Bridges Brothers. Everybody had brothers. I did. My brother was killed in a motorcycle accident when I was 21. The year before I graduated the Playhouse. The neighborhood Playhouse. 
But in any event, I'm writing a book. It's called Fuck the Lunch. Pardon my language. It's actually, it's not the way it's going to appear on the cover. It'll be a symbolic representation of that, of that uh, moniker. But in any event, um, and I'm going to name names too. I'm going to tell some stories because I know some. Lots of them. I got nothing to lose. Those people, I don't know those people anything. And they certainly gave me nothing. You know, they uh, did their best to run me off and bury my career. And some say they even have. I mean, the last movie that we produced, uh, boy, we got ran into a wall. And it was about uh, police brutality against black people. And, you know... Back in, I started it back in 29, we finished it in 2012, actually one version of it, we didn't, we actually didn't, then we recut it again, and it never got any distribution, although uh, one of the best, one of the most uh, notable brokers of film in Hollywood had called it an epic and said, you know, everybody needed to see it, nobody did, because Collar was a what they did say, what the studio heads did say, and the people, those powers that be, would, oh man, nobody wants to see this. And I mean, if you see this movie, you'll, you, you, man, we thought that George Floyd could be avoided, you know, like that. And the Eric Grays and the, you know, the, all of, the, all of those events, those horrific events, might have been altered. Because that's what it was about. And everybody, nobody wants to see this, they said, you know. So, we were effectively stonewalled and blackballed from uh, distribution through the main channel, the major channel. And we pulled it out of distribution. We were, we were self-distributing. You know, we, we were on Amazon for a while. They, you know, they took it. And, um, but, uh, we, we decided to pull it back and we're, we're redoing some things on it. We're, we're probably going to release it again next year. It's the 10th anniversary of the first release of the film. The initial release of the film. So we're going to do it as a special release. But in any event, you know, in these, in these holiday times, it's very difficult to be generous to people that are so abusive, you know, and, and, uh, We are still under the influence of, of uh, the Great Pumpkin. I, well, I hate to call him the Great Pumpkin. Uh, the Orange Menace. And um, he's going to try and make a comeback. And people, you know, I, I don't... Uh, there aren't many things that I would do anything to stop, but... I would, short of any, short of violence, I would, I will get out there on the street and march, I'll yell, I'll shout, and I believe that, you know, a lot of these things that are happening to people, if you think about it, you know, Alec Baldwin's situation, he talks about the fact that he didn't fire that gun, well, maybe that gun was remotely fired by somebody who had it in for Alec Baldwin because he took particular aim at, uh, at uh, Porky Pumpkin. And um, that's something to think about. 
It's something to take a look at. And you, there are other situations, the Cuomos, you know, both of them. Yeah, these, you know, they, you pay somebody enough, you find enough people, you pay them off, and, and you, tell, you, you tell stories out of, out of school, and, you know, you can, you can spin anything. And I certainly would not put it past that pig to do that kind of thing. Pardon me, Lord, I know he's one of yours, please take care of him. Um, you know, I mean, it's a lot of my, I, you know, I, I believe that uh, he's the one that uh, ordered the execution of Jeffrey Epstein. But uh, and I don't know if anybody's saying these things, but I'm definitely saying them. And I don't care here, you know, who listens. I don't have that big an audience these days. But um, if anybody's out there and listens, you know, join me on the lines to keep that clown out of town. Please. Anyway, I've been rambling on here. I, I usually just go about 15 minutes. I'm already at 17 and change, and uh, I could probably go on for quite a while because it's been a while. And so I'll use that as an excuse for running over. A big kind of rambling, but, you know, I want you all to know that uh, I am alive and well. And, you know, I'm praying for all of you out there to be alive and well. This thing is not over, apparently. And whether you believe it or not, it behooves you to get your vaccines, to get your boosters, to wear your masks, to keep your distance especially in this holiday season where everything gets so chummy and close. You know, basketball teams are canceling games. You know, football players are, you know, testing positive. You know, this is not, these are not normal times, whatever normal times may have ever been. But these are the, uh, the most different of times that I can remember in my lifetime. And my lifetime is really starting to stack up these days. In any event, I'm now at 18 and change, you know, we're moving up on 20. Um, I do a Monday night program every Monday night on Facebook, a live uh, thing where I do some music and I do some little talking about, we're doing holiday stuff this right now. Um, Monday night, 6 p.m. Eastern Standard Time on Facebook Live. You know, you can find it through Silver Searchers. You can join us there. You can find it through Willy Gilly Music. You know, um, we're going to be there this Monday, just like every Monday. We've been there for quite a while now, and we've started to build a pretty good audience there. You know, as a matter of fact, I got a video out that's, you know, closing on on some major numbers, 300,000 views in the last three months, so I'm adding about 100000 a month, so, uh, you know, who knows, maybe, maybe in a while, might even be able to get a job again, you never know, I can still act, I write, as a matter of fact, I've got four screenplays that we're, we're working on getting produced, anybody out there that's interested, you can get hold of me at david at willygilly.com, you can get hold of me at the aptspa.org that's the, the not-for-profit organization that we uh, use to train young um, people for the arts for film and stage and television and performing arts 
Anyway, we're at 20 minutes now, just like I said, and I'm going to say adios. God bless you all.